Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I have the pleasure to talk with Dan Kreese, who's the author of Taking Our Country Back, The Crafting of Networked Politics from Howard Dean to Barack Obama. I hope that you enjoy the interview today that I did with Dan. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and I have the pleasure to talk to the author today of Taking Our Country Back, The Crafting of Networked Politics from Howard Dean to Barack Obama. Welcome, Daniel Kreese. How are you? Thank you for having me, Heath. I'm, I'm doing well. It's a real pleasure to have read your book and to talk to you today. Before we get started with the actual book, maybe you can tell me and the audience a little bit about where you are, where you have been and where you are now. Uh, sure. So um, I guess I'll, I'll start with the general um, uh, the general institutions that have shaped uh, this this book and uh, really grew out of uh, my time as a master's student in journalism uh, at Stanford in the Department of Communication. And then uh, I fell in love with the academic project and, and stayed on to do a Ph.D. Um, and then after that, did a postdoc at Yale Law School, which has a wonderful interdisciplinary uh, group called the Information Society Project um, that gave me a lot of the opportunity to write and, and to do the research uh, for the Obama campaign. And um, I just, uh, I'm about to be starting my second year in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Wonderful, wonderful. It's um, this varied background, I think, that really does shape the book and sort of put it both in political science, but also, you know, in, in a couple of these other uh, related and interdisciplinary fields. So it's a great book. I really, I really do enjoy it. You structured the book around three themes, uh, innovation, infrastructure, and, and organization. And maybe we can talk about each one sort of in turn, and, and, and maybe starting with infrastructure is as good a place as anywhere. So you, so you write in the book, uh, that despite its importance, the academic literature on new media and politics has generally overlooked the role of infrastructure in campaigning. You go on uh, shortly uh, after that to write um, that the book focuses closely on myth-defying backsta- uh, the myth-defying backstage that consumes much of the working lives of those active in politics. So I wonder if you could talk at the start here about what what exactly has been overlooked by the existing literature and what maybe some of these myths are that you're trying to defy in putting together this book. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm glad you, you pulled, pulled that quote out um, because I, I think it really speaks to a large part of the uh, academic project here. Um, and certainly some of the questions that I was trying to answer. Um, you know, I, I really started this book at a time when I think there were a lot of um, there was a lot of hope uh, for new media to radically transform democratic processes um, and to really sort of uh, radically empower um, 
the citizenry. Um, and this idea, I think, was really grounded in particular theories of collective action um, that started to see that uh, the cost of doing things like uh, finding other people who support particular causes as, uh, as you, um, the cost of organizing and coordinating people, um, and the cost of time and effort really to engage in certain forms of collective action had fallen so dramatically um, that it was really going to sort of uh, eliminate the need for things like formal organizations and, and uh, formal campaign organizations, et cetera. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the one of the things that I quickly found when I started interviewing folks who worked on campaigns such as uh, Obama's was just how much time they spent uh, building infrastructure. And, you know, I define Uh, in terms of, of organizational forms, things like practices, obviously things like uh, political technologies and tools, um, and really how much of, of what they did every day, the campaigners themselves, was sort of struggle with building new infrastructure to enable people to do things, uh, dealing with problems when, when tools and technologies broke down, and they often did break down, um, you know, and just really one of, one of the things that I was struck by was how most of what we take for granted, such as, you know, being able to give money online, was really the result of years of hard work uh, developing systems that can handle, uh, you know, massive amounts of contribution. Um, a lot of the, the things that we sort of uh, tend to think about as being now routinely part of new media campaigning, such as, you know, letting citizens uh, create groups uh, for candidates to help them organize their own neighborhoods, um, was also the result of years of, of trial and error, uh, you know, working on things like databases and interfaces. Um, and, you know, this work really carried over um, far before any of the actual campaigning uh, takes place and, and often in between election cycles, um, which is something that scholars um, really paid very little attention to uh, on the whole. It tends to be, I think, the academic literature each election cycle anew and just sort of really focus on, you know, the active period where, you know, primaries are being conducted and candidates are fundraising and, and working with party networks, etc. Um, but a lot of what I found was that really the groundwork for those times takes place, you know, on the days after uh, a presidential election, for example, and, and take years in the making to come together. You know, one of the uh, parts of literature that, that, in, that hasn't done this is um, a colleague of yours, Dave Karf, who um, has written a book that really goes with this. And I think it, it's even in the same series yes. uh, on digital politics. And one of the, the, the focus of much of his book is on Move On, the organization uh, founded in the early 2000s or late 1990s. Move On features in your book as well, yep. particularly in the section on innovation. Yeah. And I, there was one section here that really, really caught me. And, and you talk about sort of the impact of, of Move On on the, the Howard Dean campaign yeah. and you write in Chapter 2, um, uh, quoting a dean staffer, that, uh, about a visit that they had from Move On, and the staffer says that visit, more than any other single day, transformed the way we thought about much of the Internet campaign. In that day, we moved from chaotic creativity to creativity driven by the need for email list 
growth. So what was the relationship between the Dean campaign and Move On, and what did it mean for the campaign to begin to think proactively? That was one of the yeah. contributions that, that they, they attribute to Move On was this change in thinking. So yeah. what are the two organizations, how close are they, and what does one learn from the other? Yeah, well, I mean, so the relationship was interesting in that, you know, Move On sort of had built what was, I think, you know, even still the most powerful uh, online digital advocacy organization and sort of style of new media organizing um, in in the world, really. Um, and even in, in 2004, um, 2003, 2004, you know, we're a powerhouse in progressive politics, raising millions of dollars, uh, you know, a massive membership base, um, et cetera. And, you know, when, when I was talking to some of the guys at, at Move On, what they really wanted was to sort of teach other uh, groups and other campaigns what they learned um, really over the five years that they were sort of honing their model, refining their model, et cetera. And they offered to uh, help all the Democratic presidential candidates. And it was only the, the Dean campaign that got back to them and responded to them. Um, so, you know, the, a couple of their, their principals, uh, came over and spent some time with the Dean campaign and, and really sort of worked with them, uh, to hone the email organizing model that, that Move On had developed over the years. And, you know, I'll say a little bit about that. There, there's a larger, uh, analytical point here in that when we think about things like innovation, um, I think one of the blind spots that we've had uh, in, in scholarship is to draw conceptual boxes around different types of social activity. So, for example, we have social movements in one group and we have um, interest groups in another group and we have, you know, uh, uh, presidential campaigns in another group and scholars sort of specialize in each one of these areas. Uh, one of the things that I really found that was so fascinating about both Dean and Obama was that there was always this transfer uh, of people, of technologies, of ideas, um, of practices across these domains that scholars usually keep separate. Um, and Move On really illustrated this, right? I mean, Move On comes from much more of a social movement uh, background, although it also functions like uh, an interest group. And, and Dave's work, um, who's uh, both a friend and colleague, I think is brilliant on uh, talking about this more. Um, but, you know, Move On is, is not a campaign, um, although they certainly get involved in them and, and urging their members to do certain things or endorsing candidates, et cetera. Um, but what, you know, one of the roles that I was sort of looking at is the ways in which they sort of transfer knowledge and skills across these different areas of activity. Um, and that's something that I think not a lot of scholars have paid enough attention to um, and that I've found to be really routine. And, you know, to jump ahead four years later, I mean, it was the movement into the Obama campaign of people from industry, um, people from companies such as Facebook and Google uh, who join Obama's new media team and sort of carry with them different uh, ways of using technology, different goals often of, of using technology, uh, different logics for what they're doing on a presidential campaign, et cetera. Uh, and that was a really important story of the innovation. 
uh, in the campaign. So in terms of concretely what Move On brought the Dean campaign, um, I think, you know, the, the quote that, that you provided really sums it up. You know, Move On was the first group to really systematically use email um, uh, to for organizing purposes. Um, and they did so in ways that, you know, they created a format of what an email should look like, and it was optimized to generate, you know, uh, the highest response rates from people who were receiving it. Um, you know, they're very mobilization-focused. They created action items, et cetera. Um, and up until that point, uh, the Dean campaign, which was really the first presidential effort to be using email so systematically, were sort of doing so in a way that was – more ad hoc, um, both in terms of what their goals were, although fundraising was, was clearly a goal from very early on, um, but also in terms of how they were even thinking about approaching email. It was, you know, simultaneously seen as a way of, of you know, moving information out, engaging supporters, et cetera. What I think Move On really did was sort of uh, was teach the dean folks sort of ways that they could think about email as a tool for organizing, both in terms of building a list uh, and in terms of, you know, having very specific asks um, and having very specific formats uh, to be using it in much more systematic ways that was going to contribute to the electoral effort in the end. And that's one of those great examples of, of you know, that, you know, the, the, the ways in which innovation um, then becomes part of infrastructure later on, because a lot of the folks who worked on Dean in email um, uh, including Joe Rosper's, you know, later went on to the Democratic Party and then ultimately the Obama campaign and sort of carried with them and refined this particular style of using email for organizational purposes. Yeah, and I'd like to go back to Joe, Joe Rosper's in, in a second, but maybe before we get to that, you know, the, imp- the impression that, that you leave is that a lot of this on the leadership front can be, a, uh, the credit could be given to Joe Trippi. That he was able to, he wasn't a technologist himself, but he was able to kind of empower the people in the, the various internet email technology divisions of his organization to do things that perhaps the other campaigns, uh, weren't empowering their, their technologists to do. And the impression is that Joe Trippi uh, somehow got it to a greater extent than others, but all didn't go well. And so aside from the infamous scream, what went wrong for Howard Dean in Iowa that, that prevented these advances and innovations on the technology front not to translate ultimately to his victories uh, in the Democratic primaries? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's let me say a little bit first uh, about, you know, Joe's Trippy's role uh, in the campaign, because I think one of the things that he did really uh, brilliantly was carving out a space for innovation on the campaign um, where staffers could experiment. Um, and, you know, I, I think and one of the, the quotes from from uh, one of the folks I interviewed sort of said captured this best is to say, you know, there didn't always have to be a very clear outcome to, to what they were working on, um, but they were sort of given a latitude and a degree um, of of freedom uh, to really explore and to try new things because I think one of the things Trippy realized is that this the internet was new in so many respects in campaigning and the Dean phenomenon certainly was was at a scale that far eclipsed 
uh, any of the online presidential campaigns that had come before. And, you know, what I think Trippy did was sort of provide this space organizationally that gave staffers the freedom to experiment and explore. Uh, but he was also focused on sort of the metrics that the campaign would need to carry out an effective uh, campaign. And ultimately, you know, one of the, the very key metrics and, and things that campaigns spend a lot of time trying to figure out what to do uh, is is raise money and raise money to do things like air television advertisements, uh, raise money to do things like open field offices and put them on the ground, uh, etc. Um, in terms of what happened in Iowa, I mean, I, you know, what I, what one of the challenges that um, really sort of uh, struck me uh, was how do we how should we think about the role of new media in a in a presidential campaign or any campaign for that matter? Um, and there's a million different variables and there's a million different things that campaigns are trying to do. Um, and I don't think new media will ever you know new media alone will ever win. Uh, an election, um, you know, but it certainly can at its best, you know, translate a lot of enthusiasm and energy into concrete resources. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's one of the arguments I make about the Obama campaign later on. But what, what I think there was in the Dean side was there was a difference uh, in some senses uh, between what was taking place online and what was taking place on the ground in states like Iowa. Uh, and certainly through no fault of their own. Again, I mean, I think that that, you know, this area of campaign practice was so new is that folks were sort of struggling to figure out, well, how exactly are we going to harness this energy? What are the right metrics for thinking about um, what we hope that people are going to be able to accomplish? Um, you know, what are the right ways that we can go about organizing our supporters, et cetera? Um, and because it was so new, as I you know, said before, when we talked about infrastructure, there was no real best practices for how to do this. And one of the key things that I think Obama uh, new media team learned very well um, was how to integrate field campaigning, which is sort of your traditional get out the vote, door knocking, uh, et cetera, with the new media side of things. Um, and that is something that I don't think uh, the Dean campaign had in place in Iowa in 2004. Now, there's a whole bunch of other factors that come into play. I mean, there was um, uh, a series of um, uh, television advertisements that Dean had produced that, you know, were sort of widely seen as being uh, ineffective and, and, you know, spent a, a large amount of the campaign's budget um, there was a lack of, of, of recruiting precinct captains across Iowa, uh, and that this was something that the campaign only really awoke to very late. And, and Iowa, as a caucus state, uh, is, is very much sort of oriented towards uh, precinct captains and, and having neighbors organize their own communities, et cetera. So there was a basic lack, I think, in some aspects of the field operation on the ground. Um, and not a lot of uh, effective organizing for, for the caucuses in particular, which require a high degree of organizing. Um, you know, and then beyond that, I mean, some of the stuff I was actually there uh, as a master's student, as a journalism master's student at the time. And a lot of what I saw on the ground, I was following around a group of Bay Area volunteers. Um, was, you know, databases that, you know, didn't always work correctly, um, that, you know, people were, you know, 
people they were doing turnout in in similar neighborhoods duplicating uh efforts uh there was lots of folks coming from out of state um who anecdotally at least it seemed like Iowans were a bit skeptical about so i i think all these things really came into play um you know and and really layer that too on top of the the fact as as political scientists would know well that you know the Iowa um uh, electorate looks different than the electorate of other states um and you know Dean's support and and members of the campaign said this as well you know Dean's supporter bases came in more urban areas among different aspects of the Democratic Party's base than were on the ground in Iowa so it would have been tough i think for him to to win even to begin with so all those things sort of converge uh in and around that you know uh, to to uh, result in being third place uh, win yeah. in Iowa. And in, in many ways, this takes us up both to the third pillar of your book, but also to the Obama campaign, which is the organizational component of this. And you write about the Obama campaign, I think this is early in the book, that the campaign was first and foremost an achievement of organization, the hard work of its staffers to bring people, tools, and practices into alignment and in accord with electoral strategy. You know, from a distance, this would run counter to the narrative about Obama, the transformational figure, the orator. Why do you argue that the organization was so central to the president's success in 08? Well, I mean, you know, this goes back to the general sense that um, the new media, I think, more generally on campaigns works best when it's in place to be able to, to translate enthusiasm and energy into things campaigns need. You know, campaigns face a very sort of defined institutional environment. They ultimately need money to, to do things like run ads, um, you know, and then votes on election day. And, you know, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Uh, and it's what campaigns focus a lot on. Um, so I think one of the things that and, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of other people who have written brilliantly about this. Um, you know, Obama's rhetoric, for example, I think helped create a lot of that enthusiasm uh, and that mobilization. And certainly the fact that he was a top tier candidate and benefited from a lot of media coverage, even out right out of the box, I think, was was important at generating interest and desire among the wider electorate. I think he, um, you know, there was certainly a, a degree of charisma uh, about the candidate as well and, and people's response to him. So all those things certainly come into play. Um, the issue that I think and, and what sort of led me to, to focus my book in particular ways on organization and new media in particular um, was to say, well, you can have all the energy and enthusiasm in the world, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be directed towards those very uh, defined, concrete things that campaigns need. Right. You still need people to be all working towards similar goals and, and those goals might be raising money. Well, then how do you get everyone on the same page donating and, and making solicitations for you? Um, you know, you need to turn out your supporter base on Election Day. Well, how do you get everyone working in concert to help you do the really hard work of going door to door? Uh, to turn out your supporters, to be having conversations with those people who are, are persuadable, et cetera. Um, all of that takes organization. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, the things that the Obama campaign really thought long and hard about was how do we, you know, design a campaign organization that's best going to help us 
um, translate all of that energy and enthusiasm into those very concrete, defined things that we need, uh, that we need. And, and, you know, whether that's boots in the ground, whether that's money, uh, in our coffers and whether that's vote on, votes on election day, what we're going to do is think about how to organize to coordinate all of that, uh, all of those supporters. Yeah. And uh, speaking of design, you, you write uh, some very interesting stuff and stuff you don't typically see in political science about design itself. So the campaign hired both an art director and a design director. That is the Obama campaign. What? And you, the suggestion is this is this is these are novel hires. So what role did de- design itself play in the sort of the artistic design sense? What role did design play in the Obama campaign? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. So this is one of the more fascinating aspects to me because it's, it's something that I never really thought all that explicitly about um, until I. I um, the the people who actually work on design on the campaign. Um, so there's two aspects of design. Uh, the the first is sort of about um, using design to really in a sense of cultural mobilization. So ways in which that you can inspire people to uh, stay engaged with the campaign, that you could project a certain image of the candidate. Um, and the designers on the campaign thought long and hard about how they could use the campaign's website and graphic design to really further um, uh, perceptions of the campaign uh, to keep people engaged and inspired. And just to give some examples, you know, one of the one of the things that really stuck with me is one of the first things they did was uh, standardize the Obama blue. So the, the blue that you saw on the website in 2008 uh, was standardized all the way across the campaign. So all of the campaign's materials and actually the new media division also uh, ran a print shop. So they were essentially coordinating all the campaign's materials uh, for all of their events were all coming through the new media division. Um, but the idea is that once you standardize, say, the color blue across um, the entire campaign, um, all the way down from, uh, uh, you know, the yard signs, to the website, to even the candidate's necktie. I mean, this was the, the level of which they were thinking about this, um, that it would convey this sense that, you know, the junior senator of Illinois was an experienced and competent executive. It was a very polished look. It was a look that was designed to convey uh, the sense that, you know, Obama was running a professional organization and they would bring that discipline um, and that coherence, you know, to the nation, to the nation's focus, et cetera. Um, and they did a whole bunch of other um, of, uh, of, of other things, such as using particular typefaces and, and fonts um, that would convey um, uh, an aesthetic of America and American values. Um, you know, they were looking through things like historical documents and photographs of, of uh, iconic American events and moments to stylize images of the candidates that would conjure them up. Um, so, for example, you know, looking at, at photographs in the civil rights movement and stylizing the candidates' uh, image in, in particular ways that would make those associations without ever stating it. The neatest uh, uh, and, and I think most innovative aspects was to, to um, create uh, tailored versions of the campaign's logo. 
um, so that, you know, you could have many different supporter groups sort of see themselves in this logo. So, for example, it would be about, you know, having a, a, a rainbow flag or a rainbow design theme within the Obama campaign logo. You know, and, and the idea was that, you know, you everybody around the country could essentially sort of see their identity uh, reflected in the Obama campaign uh, at the same time. And it was a wonderful um Way I think that the, that the campaign sort of uh, approach design in the sense of how could it really be seen as this other uh, communications and marketing uh, uh, opportunity that the website was actually going to be as much a reflection on the candidate as any of our television commercials are uh, or as any of the speeches are. Yeah, and and you know the how just how coordinated. This campaign was, I think, is really a story that you tell very well and from an interesting perspective. You know, one of the implications, and you talk about this in your conclusion, about what that means and, and the implications of that for citizen participation. And so the sort of a closed system uh, that, that the Obama campaign used and succeeded with might not have been as compatible with kind of the open vision that maybe some of the, the founders of Move On and, and some of the enthusiasm that some of the supporters had that they were going to be members of the campaign, that, you know, they would be citizen campaign staffers. Um, let's sort of move to your conclusions and talk a little bit about that. Where does all of this take you in terms of your sort of step back and, and takeaways from this? What is, what is this story about new media and the incorporation of it in these two campaigns say about sort of the state of the democracy, state of campaigns and, and whether, you know, what's 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 the big picture uh, issue for you? Yeah, I mean, I think as you alluded to, I, the, you know, the other aspect of design is really what you know when you use when you deploy tools online, you can quantify things such as user actions. You can quantify and know more about your supporters. Uh, than ever before in, in ways that were unthinkable even 10, 20 years ago. Uh, and the Obama campaign really sort of developed um, this computational way of working where everything was being run through data. So whether that's about where to allocate uh, staffers or allocate resources, you know, such as whether you're going to run another online ad or whether you're going to invest in more uh, email staff. Um, and as an external management tool, right, so it ways so doing things like optimizing websites to probabilistically increase the likelihood that your supporters will take particular actions and going all the way down and doing this based on who you know and what you know about your supporters so that if they've given money before and they're in a particularly um, contested congressional district, you can show them a different version of a web page that they've already tested uh, to, to know that probabilistically in the aggregate, it's going to increase the rates uh, uh, of return and increase the likelihood that you're going to be making a donation to the campaign. Um, so, you know, this, this, as you're talking about, right, so there's all this energy and enthusiasm, and then there's also sort of this back end, um, these computational management practices that are trying to efficiently uh, elicit the desired supporter actions um, and to really sort of direct them and coordinate them in ways that ultimately are important uh, for the campaign. Um, so all of this comes together, and the question that you asked, uh, is, you know, how should we think about this? And, and you know, what I call and what I refer to this in the book is being um, 
you know, hybrid organizing practices. So organizing practices that um, couple uh, uh, computational management with citizen empowerment. Um, and I'll say a little bit more about that. So on on one level, it's, it was always surprising to me that that you know supporters and their independent efforts got so much attention from scholars and the organizational side of things. What the campaign was doing um, never got any attention at all, really, um, in in uh, much of the academic literature. Um, because as I just mentioned, I mean, there's all these data systems going on behind the scenes, and they're testing messages and they're figuring out what will get uh, the most desired rate of return, and they're providing very defined areas for engagement, right? So it's not as if supporters are suggesting new policy platforms. Indeed, when they disagreed with the candidate and his policy switch around the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, uh, you know, supporters take en masse to, to the web to start organizing to hold Obama accountable. Um, so it's, it's not as if they're having sort of these higher order policy discussions Campaign. Uh, the campaign is sort of defining their participation in very narrow ways and in ways that accord with those uh, electorate that I talked about earlier. But at the same time, it's not as if, um, you know, supporters are these dupes of the campaign. I think that one of the things that I'm on, uh, that I take pains to stress in the book, uh, most of the time, supporters and the campaign's goals are ultimately aligned. Um, you know, supporters want to win an election. Uh, they don't necessarily uh, want to, uh, you know, contribute policy ideas, although they may. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's about finding a candidate who you align with and working hard to get him elected. And supporters have this very defined sense of they want to be campaign needs. They want to defeat John McCain and the Republicans during the general election, and they want to defeat Hillary Clinton uh, during the primaries, and they're, and they're willing to work to do that. Uh, I think at times you see fissures in this alignment, right? And part of that is around the FISA organizing, when all of a sudden the goals that supporters have uh, seem to diverge from the campaigns, and supporters start to say, oh, well, maybe we elected the wrong person, or maybe we, you know, maybe we gave the nomination to the wrong person and somebody who's not as progressive as we thought. But in the end, in the face of that external threat, their goals come back into alignment, and I think supporters are, are quite willing to work in those ways. So in terms of the state of democracy, I think it's unfair to expect campaigns to be these radical proving grounds. Uh, of these higher order areas of democratic participation, such as engaging in, in, you know, policy debate, such as setting campaign strategy, et cetera. What I think camp, you know, campaigns as we've structured them in the United States, uh, are pretty narrow in their scope and their definition in terms of what they need to accomplish. And I think, uh, from that perspective, right, we see more participation in campaigns, but it's also participation in sort of old, institutionalized electoral ways. It's about donating and talking to your neighbors and trying to persuade them um, and ultimately voting on election day. So your your book is, is not about the Republican uh, campaigns, but maybe to put on your you know sort of funded hat for a second, have the Republicans caught up? Uh, are they um, using some of the approaches that have been uh, now tested and, and proven successful at least once? Um, has there been this kind of technology information transfer across the partisan divide like we're like we have seen across the progressive organizational divide? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, um, you know, watching this cycle unfold. Um, but, you know, I I would challenge, I think, some of the, the, the premise of the question in some ways. The, the language of, you know, catching up um, and the language of sort of advantages and disadvantages sort of ignores, I think, and, and um, I, I think it's... Uh, that's appropriate for all candidates in all contexts. And yet, if anything, I think I found in my last six years of studying new media and electoral campaigns is that there's anything but a, uh, a best way to use new media. And it depends on who the candidate is, who the party's base of support is, um, what goals candidates have and campaigns have. Um, you know, what electoral strategies are in terms of who they need to turn out and, and what sort of platforms those people are using online, et cetera. So we should expect the Romney and the Obama campaigns to have different new media strategies, and we should expect them to be investing different resources in them based on who they're seeing um, as their uh, as as their target groups that they need to reach, that they need to contact, that they need to raise money from. Um, if we didn't see any divergence there at all, um, I'd be very surprised because. Again, both candidates have very different bases that they need to appeal to, particularly um, now when there's uh, fewer independent voters than there were even four years ago. Um, and that, you know, at a presidential level, you have, um, you know, a lot of people with hardened opinions and the game shifts more to turnout. Um, so in that respect, I would say that, you know, saying that one person is up or down, et cetera, um, is, is a bit problematic because it sort of ignores these larger contexts that campaigns unfold in. Uh, I will say a couple of the things, though, that, that I do see sort of a broad investment in on both sides. Online advertising um, has been growing by exponential amounts to reach voters who are no longer watching live television. They're doing that to, to build lists and to solicit donations. Uh, so that is new, and I think that's going on on both sides. Uh, and I think going back to your, your question, part of what we see is um, the Republican uh, uh, candidates in their campaigns and their parties looked very closely at what Obama did in 2008 in between elections uh, to, to seek to learn from them. And uh, one thing very specifically is that um, Zach Moffat, Romney's digital director, uh, has cited before is that they looked at the organization of the Obama campaign and saw that the new media director was a senior staffer. This is a real pleasure. It was really interesting to hear about this book. Um, the title of the book, Taking Our Country Back, The Crafting of Networked Politics from Howard Dean to Barack Obama, was published recently by Oxford University Press. Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Steve. This is great. My pleasure.